Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Nordics region to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Rachel, and I connect businesses with talented freelancers in the Swedish market. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Today, I am joined by Dinko, Christopher, and Lena to discuss leading and creating effective teams. Before we delve deeper into the topic, I would like to work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and what your biggest passion is currently. Christopher, would you like to kick us off? Thank you. My name is Christopher Peterson. I am an engineering manager at Betson Group. I uh, help our teams succeed, and I'm super passionate about delivering value in an efficient way and having fun. Amazing. Great introduction. Thank you, Christopher. Lena, would you like to go next? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm uh, Lina Strachal. I work at uh, Folksam as a manager uh, and we use an agile framework. So right now I'm an agile manager. Uh, my biggest passion is people and get that people is in the right place. And part of that also food and wine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, amazing. Thank you, Lena. And Dinko, would you like to do your introduction, please? Yes. So, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Dinko Lupina. Uh, I originally come from Croatia. Uh, so, currently, I am an engineering manager at Quarter, um, where I'm leading the data automation team. I would say that also, like, similar to, to uh, the, our guest here today, uh, I do have a passion for, you know, um, helping people grow and uh, leading teams uh, on the kind of more personal side. I love the long distance running. Uh, that's also a passion and a pain when you're doing it. <laughs> so otherwise, really excited about the, today's chat. Fantastic. Thank you, everyone. Great introductions. So now that we have established a context to each of you, I would like to move on to the topic in focus. So you all have a question or a statement on leading and creating effective teams. As usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So today, I would like to start with Christopher. I think you've given us a great question to kick off this discussion. So your question was, what is an effective team? Again, you know, great to just start this podcast off with, but also how do you measure efficiency? So do you mind kicking us off with your thoughts on this first? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, obviously, if we're going to discuss this topic, we should have, I guess we have to at least try to define what is an effective uh, team or efficient team? And, and I was thinking about it a lot. Uh, and, and i do not not sure I have an answer, actually, uh, or Wikipedia is as good of an answer as anything else. However, something that I am uh, very curious about or um, that I think about a lot, also work a lot with, is actually trying to quantify that and measure it. And, and 
uh, I have several tools uh, I use uh, that probably are quite well known. Uh, for one example, we use uh, Dora metrics uh, with our teams. I I'm, I'm, don't know if you're aware, but it, it sort of a, came from the DevOps movements and it's more or less a standardized way to measure software delivery performance. Does it necessarily measure team efficiency? But that's one thing we use and it's been very uh, effective, I would say. It helps us. It sort of sets a good goal. Uh, but then we also uh, combined it uh, with flow metrics, you know, like throughput, and uh, if you do a scrum velocity and stuff like that, to once again, maybe not measure efficiency, but but get some sort of grasp on what what, what is okay, or are we improving at least? And and also we do quite, quite uh, extensive health checks for all teams, uh, at least quarterly, but they take like two hours and we go through many, many topics to get an understanding if our teams are happy and motivated and, and, you know, believe they have the tools to succeed and stuff like that. So that's sort of, I gave you a lot of information there, but that's briefly uh, what I do. And I'm very curious to see others input if if you're doing something similar, if you have completely different ways. I think uh, some, some of the efficiency is also something that you feel. We work great together we have fun at work we uh, we have uh, there's a flow in our work and that's often uh, correlated to to the real world so if you feel that that you have a flow the throughput is better so some of it in the efficiency i think is a, a, like a group feeling and that's hard like to measure. Something, <laughs> yeah, and you're saying talking about something much more subjective than as yeah. well, right? Yeah, is that it, a feeling. Yeah, yeah. In my opinion, like I agree with, with both of you uh, to an extent. Uh, first, it, it it is really not easy, you know, uh, to say what is an effective team, right? For me, I think it's 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 a team that can tackle uh, its own problems, right? It can tackle a variety of problems. A team that's resilient. Um, so everything that comes its way, it can handle, right? Whether it's, you know, a really big engineering challenge or it's, uh, you know, interpersonal thing, right? So, uh, that's definitely, in my opinion, like one of the most important things. Um, and when it comes to the output, right, or measuring the output or like measuring the efficiency, um, it, it's also, I mean, I agree that, you know, metrics are good, but it's also, it can be very misleading as well. So for me, it's using some metrics uh, or more the output of, of some processes that we do would be a good insight, like it would be a good insight in if something is wrong or is something working quite well. To give an example, right, if the engineering team spends, you know, plainly 30% of its time, you know, on bug fixes, things that keep popping up, right, it's a quite a good indicator, right, that something's uh, wrong with usually the quality, right? So maybe you should, you know, uh, kind of raise the standards on how we develop things. So I think that's that's quite important, like not to be, you know, hold on to your metrics and statistics and, you know, be open-minded and, and use them actually to kind of uh, figure out what is working out well and what's not. Yeah. So do you measure, for example, is that a metric you use, bug fixes? How is time spent on support or time fixed on bug fixes? Yeah, exactly. I, I think that that's, uh, that's a, actually, a, it depends on the team, right, as well. Uh, what kind of a team it is, like is it an operational team or, or more of a development team. Uh, but I think like if you have like a team that's supposed to be, you know, bright in the future and, and uh, in the end spending a lot of its time on, on just fixing bugs, it's a clear indicator that, you know, maybe you need to realign your processes right there 
how do we how do we deploy how do we write code right because it's it's usually an indicator that something's wrong and then you know bringing uh, you know that to the team and seeing what can we do better and it does kind of what Lina mentioned right you know a lot of it is subjective right uh, and you know maybe it's just the way things are at a given point because we have a number of you know incoming requests uh, and you know been a bit sloppy and you know intentionally went for speed um, but it could be, you know, an indicator that something in the process is is wrong, right? That we need to do better. Uh, but I do agree with the, you know, subjective feeling, right? And usually that's kind of best to to discuss in the team. But I also think uh, an effective team uh, uh, has the continuous improvement uh, mindset, and then they sh- shouldn't be. Maybe they have a lot of bug fixes in the in the beginning, but. <laughs> But after some time, they they hopefully find out ways to to uh, increase the quality, and that the bug fixes don't. Uh, there aren't so many in the end. Excellent point. I agree with that. Um, I also think that you know over time you you have certain external influences that you know you can go back and forth, right? So, um, but. I do agree with the continuous improvement mindset, right? So, like, you should pick these things up and, and try to resolve. Uh, Ethics, actually, one reason I really drove uh, met- in, in, in introducing uh, metrics uh, because uh, I wanted to remove as much as possible the subjective part mm-hmm. of how are we improving or not? Because I saw after after 15 years of going through retros, retros are really, really good, but it was almost always based on a subjective feeling. Did it go good or did it not? And I want to see, are we actually improving or are we not improving? And and I, I think there are ways to do that. Now, when I say I use metrics, I don't use them to compare teams or to necessarily uh, or anything like that. For me, it's used as guiding stars and to measure ourselves in between iterations, between two weeks or whatever your cycle is to see, okay, we tried this. Did it work or did it not? Instead of us, instead of us trying to figure out feeling-wise or subjectively, did it work or did it not? We will just look at our numbers. Did it work? Did it help? And if it didn't, we'll have a small little discussion. Why? What? What did we learn? Oh, okay, that's awesome. Let's now try something else. Let's see if our deploy frequency increases or cycle time decreases or if we get a better uh, mean time to restore or if if our quality increases. Right. So those are the four things we sort of touch up on. And then the other ones, uh, flow metrics, sort of. They don't drive themselves, but that's always a part of it as well. Right? We take a look at our throughput and because we know throughput drive cycle time and stuff like that. So it's all connected, but I never use them sort of as rules or, or comparison or punishment or anything like that. And we don't set, we, or at least we try avoiding setting OKRs to drive specific. To, they're there to drive the teams themselves, right? To see, oh, sh- yeah, we want to accomplish, we want to deploy more often. So, I mean, I have teams by themselves, by just introducing and visualizing this, they went from deploying a deploy cycle of two weeks to deploying four, five times per day. Now, it took it took a year to accomplish that, but it, they did it themselves just by visualizing this information, right? So that's why, for me at least, it's quite important. Yeah, but the good thing with with metrics is that it's uh, it's a uh, hard fact that you can uh, use a, a jump board in retros and uh, as you say, exactly. just to look back and see uh, how the quality uh, gets better and better. So that a feeling is a feeling, 
But right, it, right. it depends on what you had for breakfast. Yeah, especially <laughs> if it's a happy feeling and everybody's super, super happy in the team. It's so easy to just, yeah. you know, believe that. But maybe you're hiding something dysfunctional. You don't know. So, yeah, one view on it, I guess. Uh, I mean, I definitely agree with that. Um, it's, it's, I would say it's, it's a very healthy approach uh, that, you know, you use the metrics to kind of give you some insight also to keep, like, keep track of the team, how, how you're doing, et cetera. But then when there is a problem, it's, it's hard to resolve it, metrics, right? So bringing it to the team and working on it together, setting a goal and then tracking that, it's, it's a very, very good way of doing this. Sure. Sure. All right. Amazing. Well, I think that was a great discussion there. Um, thank you. I'd now like to move on to Dinko's question, if that's okay. So Dinko, you kind of have gone down the other end. So about leading effective teams, which you know, we've got leading and we've got creating. So your question was, what is expected from a leader of an effective team? And also, what qualities do you think these leaders should have? Now, I'm curious to know what you think a leader should be in the context of effective teams and what qualities they should have. Yeah, so I, mean, I got the hardest question, obviously, which is mine. But uh, so it's, it's you know, usually you're always focused on, on the team, right? Uh, like usually people don't think uh, on the other way, right? What should the leader be? Right? Uh, and the leader should be a lot of things. Uh, I kind of narrowed it down to three things, which I think are kind of most important. Uh, so the qualities that a leader should have, in my opinion, are uh, a good listener, a good mentor, and trustworthy and fair, uh, and to kind of bring more, more color to it. So a good listener, um, I think that people often try to solve problems for others, right? Uh, myself included, to be honest, right? It's always easiest to give the solution. But if you instead focus on listening and helping uh, people to solve the issues they're facing, we're just simply listening sometimes. It goes a long way but also being open-minded to their suggestions uh, because the teams often are very resilient on their own and can bring good solutions to the table. The second one, a good mentor. So I think one of the most important things is helping people grow uh, within their interests uh, and also within the team, helping them reach their goals. So understanding what makes them think, you know, how to um, explore their passions as well, right? Uh, how do they grow professionally uh, is very important. And I think he's a very good driver for individuals within the team. We're also paying attention to them, uh, helping them improve, giving them feedback when, when it's appropriate, when they've done something really good, but also something that could be uh, improved as well. Uh, that's a really important thing. And also it's the hardest thing. It's uncomfortable, uh, but it, it goes a long way. Um, and the last one, trustworthy and fair. And this, I it might sound fluffy in, in a sense, but... I really think that the leader should be the the kind of embodiment of, of the values of the team. Uh, now, having said that, I don't think that you know the the leader should uh, you know have this mindset of being the infallible leader, and it, it can uh, they can make a mistake. Rather that you know uh, when you do make a mistake, which it happens, right? That you uh, say, yeah, <laughs> I, I made a mistake, and uh, you know it, it's to show the team that you know it's. It's okay to make a mistake, but to to essentially, you know, the values that you know you have set uh, together, right? That you try to drive them against themselves first. Mm-hmm. All right, I think you didn't say anything controversial there, right? <laughs> I'll sign. I'll sign on all of that. Yeah. Uh, I did one thing. Uh, well, there's several several things I think are quite interesting. Uh, but you 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 mentioned, for example, mentor. 
uh, being a mentor. Uh, do you have you reflected on that at all? The difference between mentorship and coaching, and uh, and that you made might have to glide in between being a mentor and being a coach and stuff like that, or do do you sort of view those as the same thing? I would say it's it's very much overlapping as well, right? right. So uh, right. of course it's um, I would say it's easier like from a professional standpoint if you have experience with something, right? It's easier to help uh, uh, your teammates, right, with a specific topic, right? How to grow within them, right? But sometimes you don't know that much about the topic, for instance, right? And then just maybe connecting them with, with someone, uh, but also trying to see, trying to clarify for them, them themselves. Because often, uh, as as people, you know, you don't know what we really want, right? So just helping them, which is a kind of coaching aspect, to figure out what do they want to improve on, like what could be a possible goal as well, right? So making it tangible and actually help them grow and, and also see the progress back on the metrics, you know, see that, that they made progress. For me, mentoring is more, uh, a mentor uh, is uh, uh, also related to, to my um, work tasks. Uh, a, peop- a person who, who knows what I work with and have done it and can be a role model in the, the actual work. Uh, mentor uh, mentoring also can uh, um, allow co- coaching and and uh, freeing a uh, mind or uh, thinking about the the bigger picture but uh, for me uh, the mentoring is is closer to to the work tasks and um and a coach could be anyone it doesn't have to be someone who knows what you do exactly uh, so from I think a mentor also is a role model in in the smaller picture but if when it comes to leadership uh, leadership uh, maybe I'm not as a manager for my three teams maybe I'm not like a, a mentor there someone else is that I'm a, a I could be a coach I could be a role model but uh, maybe not mentoring I mean, I do agree with that. Um, the, the mentor, like for, from my perspective, means that you know you you are helping in a sense, like them to, you're helping the team to grow, right? So um, of course, like you cannot be a mentor in a professional, uh, like if someone ha- has a different kind of competence, right? Mm-hmm. So there, it's, it's hard to you know mentor someone if you don't know what you're talking about. In a sense, of course, <laughs> I agree with that. Uh, it's more in this, um, which I guess. Could be called a coach more, uh, but for me it's like uh, well, I guess the, the mentorship sounds warmer, if you will, <laughs> in, in in a sense that you know you're helping someone actually grow, but it doesn't have to be you know in your specific competence. I I, I think I share your Lina's sort of take on it, your definition, but maybe there. I don't think that there has to be a separation or, or whatever, but that's how I view it as well. That's two almost two separate activities, right? The mentor is somebody that has expert knowledge probably on 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 a technology or whatever it is, and mentors that person, uh, helps them. And a coach is just as you said, might not have know anything about the subject, but is only there to ask the correct right question at the right time, right? To unlock their own potential. Uh, and sometimes it's for me at least it can be very hard and because I often want to be a coach rather. I think that's more powerful, but I have a tendency since not so technical, I fall into some sort of problem solving mode or mentorship mode, you know, and I don't really necessarily want to do that. But uh, I think this became a side topic on this. <laughs> but that's one good thing, not being an expert. This is uh, being a manager at, uh, for me in 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 IT. Uh, that's not not my expertise area. Right. Uh, lead, leadership may may 
be, but not right. the uh, just the techniques. Exactly. So uh, that's easy for me just to say that. But you know this, right. I don't. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. And I think that's really, really good. I would say for me, that's a really good quality to have because I'm, I, I'm not sure. It, it seems like, uh, well, I can't speak for all of Beton Group, but many times, especially as an engineer manager, where it's viewed as a good thing to be very technical, to have this long, long, long technical background and you know stuff like that. I'm not sure that always is so good because I do think I become a blocker. I can be a bottleneck and stuff like that because because pe- teams start relying on my technical knowledge instead of using their own technical knowledge. So so I, I I'm not you know there's good and bad to everything, but uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, it's a good quality, not necessarily no, especially if you're more focused on leadership and coaching and stuff. Yeah, I think that's great and. If I if I may just quickly also t- touch, I think for me it, I haven't really analyzed everything I do. I think there's many things that are super important. You you mentioned role model. You both did. I hundred percent agree with that. I think a, a good leader exhibits the value uh, we want everybody else to exhibit. If you, if it doesn't start with you, why would anybody else do it? So I, I definitely super important, right? Uh, but my little uh, skill or trick that I can't define what it is is for some reason I've been able to create safety for people around me. Even when I was just starting out as a developer, always putting teams, I I don't know, maybe I'm just friendly or it's something, but I, I've been able to create some sort of safety. And recent years, I really noticed how important that is. And so when I started actually also building teams professionally, like creating, putting key teams together, I noticed for me, I would put that probably as number one is is trust and safety. That would be the most important uh, uh, fundament for building teams. So then that to me seems like maybe one of the most important uh, qualities or skills as a leader is the uh, ability to create a safe zone and our trust. Um, so that, that's my take on it, perhaps. Yeah, and now we touch my topic. <laughs> would you like me to introduce it, Lena? Because yeah, I feel yeah. like that's an amazing segue there. <laughs> so... I'll just kind of jump straight into it. So, Lena, your question, which, again, Christopher's greatly touched on there, is how do you create this feeling of team culture, especially transparency and trust that you feel is really needed in creating effective teams? So how about you go into trust and transparency now? Tell us about your thoughts on this. Yeah, but uh, as uh, as we were just talking about, uh, I think uh, transparency is a uh, uh, when you have transparency, you gain trust. They they're connected. So uh, and and when you uh, have trust, it's easier to be transparent. So uh, it goes goes in both ways. And as you say, uh, as you said, Christopher, this uh, uh, to to uh, um, be able to create trust. Uh, free the, the teams get more free they don't have to think about what's uh, what's th- threatful or anything so they can do uh, they can be more uh, um, creative and and uh, um, they the efficiency just increases uh, and my what I do is role modeling we already talked about uh, and I'm kind of um, um, I have I have strong values that I always stick to. Uh, that is uh, connected to uh, the person. My I have my strong opinion that that everyone has a place where they can be the best, and it's up to me to f- help them find it. Uh, 
and uh, as you said, Dinko, with the mistakes, to see the mistakes as a, a, a there's nothing wrong with making mistakes. You have to do them to know what's the right way and to uh, evolve. So um, if you if you're able, if I can uh, if I can say that uh, I made this mistake and this happened and I learned this, then I, I um, it's get it, it's easier for others to do that too. But also, like, uh, uh, share, like, if I feel that something is uh, wrong or if I have a concern about anything, I, I just say it, whatever comes to mind. And that's uh, because sometimes when you sit with people, when you have your groups, you can feel that something is, uh, something is, maybe something is wrong. And then it's better just to to say it. Say what's on your mind, uh, and then you create a a, a group with the, that it's more easy to to just let the mind be open and not have to guess what other people think. And I think that also creates some trust. Uh, uh, I have a lot of and to suffer. You had <laughs> I could go on, but now my mouth gets stuck. So. <laughs> No, I like I like everything uh, you're saying, and I I can build on everything you're saying. But I, I don't want to uh, get into. I would love to hear what Dinko has to say. As <laughs> we have any, any tricks off your sleeve when it comes to creating trust and safety. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I definitely agree with, with both of you here, and and I do agree that uh, Christopher, what you mentioned, that you know, a leader should be able to create this. Um, it is in a sense hard, uh, and sometimes take time to, to build uh, trust, but trust is kind of the cornerstone of creating an effective team. Um, in my experience, one good way of, you know, uh, establishing that trust is like I've seen it uh, multiple times, you know, when you're tackling something really hard, you know, everyone's maybe, you know, even above kind of their, what, what they thought that was their kind of capacity in like what they can do, um, you know, that creates a very strong bond, right? If you're facing something really hard. But also, um, as kind of I think Lina was hinting at as well, but also like when you show, for instance, that you can, you know, uh, make a mistake, that you can fail as well, right? You are kind of giving them trust, right? So you are showing someone, you know, you're human as well, vulnerable as well, right? So giving trust is actually a good way of, you know, getting that trust back. Um, but also having said that part, I think that it's like a more kind of systematic uh, approach to it. Like the first step, uh, what I like to do is always kind of establish ways of working because this on its own, uh, I would say, is probably the, the biggest thing that you can do to, you know, uh, resolve a lot of uh, friction that always comes up, right? And it's a new one. So like through, through here, like you go through how do we communicate together? What is okay? What is not okay? How do we write code together if it's an engineering team? What are the standards we're committing to? Right? And but when everyone is involved in this, right? and we make kind of the, this uh, joint standards of, of how we behave, right? it it kind of unlocks a lot of uh, the potential and it helps resolve like even when, when the kind of difficult times come in. So I think, think that is kind of, uh, for me, it's, it's definitely in the, in the creating, creation part, it's one of the most important things. I think uh, you, you, I think you're touching on something I find very, very important, even if it's adjacent. I, I'm segueing a bit here, but into uh, expectation management, perhaps, because I think that's what 
maybe ways of working does in, in when it comes to creating a safe place is managing expectations. You know what's expected of you. And I've seen this, which can be quite simple, become a huge problem. And it, I, I believe it's very important, especially for us managers, that people know what's expected of them from us. Obviously, that's starting point, right? But also about uh, from the people around them. Uh, because if you don't know that, I, and I've seen many times, people have a tendency to put higher expectations on themselves than is actually out there, than, than the team actually has on them. And it, it creates stress and leads to not feeling safe and not having trust, right? So I, I, I think that's a good, good tool to have uh, clear processes because then you at least, you can, you, that's so, sort of a safety as well to know what's going on. Uh, and that, that's true. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say like you can always, as you said, like you can always fall back to that, right? So, so even for instance, if, if it's some, maybe sometimes it's hard to communicate something, right? It happens, right. but that way you usually have a way, you know, what is okay to, you know, to bring up, right? And how do we do it in which setting, et cetera, right? So you already have the answers of, you know, how do you do something? So then it's a bit easier to kind of resolve some of the issues. Yeah. Mm, that's cool. I use, as I said before, I, I say safety is, is very important to me. So I, I've used... I have like several different tools or exercise. Well, I don't know aspects of it. I use a lot in my work, but it all differs. But you punched on it, and I think one is well the psychological safety aspect, and a very simple measure which you both said is well just start by sharing your mistakes, right? So I give an example. I do that all the time. If somebody's worried about something, I just well wait. You know, last year I actually didn't accidentally deploy wiped out a production server, or whatever. You know, I. Anything. I'm not afraid to. I share every <laughs> stupid thing I've ever done, right? Um, and so I think that's a really good way. And, and then there are also so many fun and helpful exercises you can do, like you know, like journey uh, journey lines or creating team alignment uh, or team contracts and all these good things to just get people to share their experiences and share some details about themselves. I think that creates creates a lot of safety. Another thing, I'm so happy. Uh, I discovered uh, but i i read it in a book i didn't it's not my discovery uh, but obviously it's uh, blameless postmortems uh, since we remove sort of uh, root cause analysis and, and this pointing f- uh, fingers instead shifted to blameless postmortems uh, for, for all, all sort of errors and uh, that's changed a lot because now it's, it's before it was focused on only finding the problems right this is the problem we have to find the problem who did this and stuff now We've shifted to a culture where all we want to do is learn. Okay, what went wrong and how do we build on this? How do we learn? How do we learn? That's sort of the driving question. That also created uh, a safety, which leads into another thing I've done with my teams is uh, a principle or culture of fail fast. Uh, and they, in the beginning, they always laughed at me. Why do, why do you want us to fail? Then they, then we realize, but it's so important because if you if you train yourself to fail and if you actually try to fail and you do it really really fast, you'll avoid mistakes in the future that become very very costly. So ah, it's a way to get us talking about mistakes we make or they, or to experiment more. Oh, let's try this, see if it works. It didn't work, and then you immediately know it didn't work instead of six months down the line trying to hide it. You know, and that's another thing I do a lot. And and finally, um. Uh, this is very software delivery specific, but I do a lot of exercises with my teams to move, remove prestige from their code. Uh, and this took a long time for me to learn as well, because usually you're quite proud of your PR or your function or something like that. 
Uh, but but your identity should probably not come from the code you write, but rather from maybe the value deliver or, or, or the accomplishments or goals. Uh, so that's something I do with my teams as well, is we uh, we do exercises where we critique each other's code just to get into the mood that, hey, my code doesn't really matter. We, it's a team effort and we need to be able to just rewrite it at any time or whatever so that we start focusing on delivering value. Yeah, I've been ranting forever, <laughs> sorry. But having a like a... a, 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 a thinking everything as draft this is the first right. draft and then you remake some of the feedback and then this is the second draft and that works it, it, it works in school and it works in in it too if you just think everything is a draft then you just lower the expectations right. and you can think more freely and you can change it right nothing is carved in stone no uh, exactly mm. exactly and it, it shouldn't be so precious i mean the code itself or that's not why actually not why we're here to write uh, the most amount of code right it's, it's to solve no. some sort of problem <laughs> and we should probably shift the discourse to that and and maybe we don't have to write any code at all to solve a problem maybe and that would probably be the best case it, that's how i view it I mean, in most cases yes i agree and uh, i think it, it is like uh, engineers are very attached to the code <laughs> Uh, myself included, but but it is uh, it is a good way. I, I really like this idea, you know, uh, detaching, you know, uh, and then if you focus on it's just code, it doesn't matter who wrote it, right? And what could we do better? That is definitely one of the best things, and you know, getting the people in this mindset. If you do uh, manage to do that, then everything will be a lot smoother. Mm-hmm. For sure. I was thinking about something else that you said, Christopher, about the mistakes. A friend of mine uh, wanted to create a culture in his team to just to to reveal and and see the mistakes that we made because everyone was hiding their mistakes and just pretended that they didn't happen. So uh, every day they celebrated a mistake. What's the what's the mistake mistake to celebrate today? And someone have to. Uh, Tell about yes. it, and they are the ones give input, and uh, everyone learn. So that's a way just to make it also a mistake is not that that hard. I love it's, that. I love that. I uh, I used to do failure cake. So oh. whenever we <laughs> failed with something, we would have a cake. Uh, it's it, it, not celebrate the failure itself, but to celebrate the learnings. Ah, what yeah. did we learn from this? Because every time you fail, you learn something, right? Yeah. I love that's such a good thing, and do it daily. I think I love that. What a good good thing. If everything runs smoothly all the time, you don't evolve. You, you just yeah, do right. the same thing all 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 along. So yep. you have yep. to you have to get get these bumps in the road to make right. better wheels on your bike. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, the failure is the only way to learn. Um, I don't like the the cake idea. Uh, yeah, I use that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's efficient, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I, I was also, while uh, sort of prepping a bit for our talk here, I, I noticed you asked it's two questions in one because you, you talked about uh, trust, but you also talked about transparency in yeah. your, which might be, I don't know if that's something different because I view the yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. I also sort of separated it because transparency is also something I'm, I, I've been working with or thinking a lot about trying things because I take this approach. Um, to, to visualize everything, absolutely everything, because I think that's a way to make it transparent. So uh, for one, on our Kanban board, we have, if something's going on, it's on the board. It doesn't, it doesn't, even if it's not a task, but it can be anything. We try, I try to visualize it. And I was experimenting with doing the same thing with, with my 
calendar, just or not even calendar, just creating a Kanban board, putting everything I do in a day on publicly open so everybody up there could see what I'm doing at any point in time. <laughs> okay. Uh, just to, so the ultra transparency was my thinking. Uh, uh, I didn't manage all the way, uh, but uh, I, I'm still working on it, actually. <laughs> Something I would like to try. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, but uh, transparency, as I said in the beginning, it goes both ways. If you have if everything transparent, if you always, uh, part of it is that everything is visual. Uh, and if it's not visual, you can't improve. Then you don't know what to improve, what what you could improve if you don't see it. Uh, and the other thing is to be transparent with everything that's been going on, what's happening in the company, what hap- what's happening in the uh, our group where we work, what's happening in our lives, uh, just th- that can affect our work today. So the transparency is uh, a part of it is the visualization. And the other uh, thing is just to, to be open and and show right. uh, everything that's going on and and be um, say information is part of it too but i i really like the visual um, to visualize everything as much right. as possible yes it's so much easier and and also i don't know if you guys have noticed this but i sometimes notice that some teams uh, they have scrum boards or kanban boards or whatever you want right and, and for me, the whole purpose is to identify bottlenecks or blockers. That's, yeah. that's sort of why you want to do it. But, oh, it's been stuck in this state for way too long. Why is that? Uh, but many times teams, well, naturally, I guess we forget about that and sort of invent new statuses or whatever to just get around the blockers instead of actually, <laughs> you know, like, hey, wait. Uh, I, I think that's, we, I know one team, for example, I was just having that discussion the other day because they, ah, the release process is so this is for one product specifically it's a bit of a horror and um, uh, it's a tough release process it, it takes two weeks and stuff like that and um, so they don't want to put those tickets in ready for deploy because they know they will be waiting there for two weeks <laughs> two weeks <laughs> so they ask me hey can we just put them in done instead because you know otherwise it's just going to be waiting for two weeks i'm like no because the whole point of having a camera board <laughs> is to visualize we have a problem so now it's pretty obvious we have a problem because we have to wait for two weeks maybe we should just fix that release cycle instead right that's like that i think that's so it always happens but it's, it's pretty fun to me that we end up uh, forgetting why we sort of had the tools and stuff like that and they become dictators rather than helpers uh, that's yeah weird. and also some but this is uh, this is what we want to uh, move from by creating effective teams but some in the beginning when you don't when you don't know why we visualize everything you think it's because the manager should know that you were working <laughs> i did this yesterday i'm doing this today I'm fully packed. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I don't, don't care. What value do you... <laughs> right, right. And, and that's so much more important. It's, it's a, such a typical thing to do is to look at utilization or how well we use resources, right? Mm-hmm. As some sort of measurement of productivity, which doesn't measure productivity at all. It, it would be like saying, can we measure num- lines of code? Well, well, doesn't mean anything, <laughs> but the value does. And how quick yeah. we can deliver that value. That's sort of, for me at least, does bring some sort of value. I 100% agree with you. That's, and, and, to, and to do that, to always improve every week, every two weeks or whatever, we have to do everything we can 
to visualize anything that's blocking us from from maximizing value bringing activities right yeah for sure that's fun but i think we at least me as an engineer maybe dink or you agree we we sort of have a tendency to cheat this we want to i think she's cheat a bit <laughs> you know it's like oh we have a long cycle time so instead of sort of uh, asking ourselves how do we decrease the cycle time it, it's like why in general if we filter away these specific type of problem <laughs> our cycle time will, will decrease like oh yeah but then we're not actually solving our problems yeah. are we no, no definitely uh, i think it's, it's also uh you know it is a, a way of thinking as well that you need to solve the problem and you know if you're constrained you just work around it and not fixing the, the kind of the, the actual root cause so i think in general, what I like to do is, you know, from time to time, just take a step back and, and see what, what are we doing? Like, does it make sense? Because sometimes you just get so caught up in the problem that you don't really see the bigger picture. But, you know, what you mentioned with the release cycle, like, that is the, the actual problem. Yes. But now we're just trying to hide it uh, in a very convenient way. Right, right. Oh, you, you, you touched on something now that just got me thinking, um, uh, also, we've been talking about leading, creating leading effective, well, almost like creating leading one effective team. We sort of, that's, even if we, we all here lead maybe multiple teams, uh, but, uh, and we're sort of talking about uh, how, what does it take to create and lead a team? Um, one thing uh, I've been reading a lot about and also seeing myself in, in the real world is that, yes, we can create effective we can, and we should probably try to make them as effective as po- possible, right? But the thing is, if if we are also using a company has many teams, and probably they they deliver value together, or they are part of a value chain, right? And if we don't look at that, like typical buzzword here, but if we don't op- optimize the whole, then I've been thinking sometimes, how much does it actually matter if we optimize the teams? I, I mean, if we make the teams super super efficient, but if the value stream of the company is struggling as a whole, does does it even matter then how efficient the single team is. Very no, really good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's uh, it does def- does definitely matter because I mean you can be as as efficient you want as, as you want, but like you know if everyone everything around you is kind of blocking you in a sense, right? You are kind of you know you are constrained. Uh, so a part of that should be you know sometimes you know if we are having problem uh, with you know. Maybe the other team is taking more time, right? So maybe should we plan better and like give them more, more uh, lead time, or um, you know, just improving the communication sometimes goes a long way. So I think it's a excellent point because a lot of times that will maybe help even more. A certain uh, like if the team is already established, then actually you know trying to you know uh, optimize the team more in a sense. So I think I agree with you a hundred percent. It's often the case, I would say. <laughs> but everything works in the environment around it. You're always uh, related to your environment. Mm. And if you have one efficient team in a, a, a kind of a value stream where everything else is not efficient, of course, they won't be efficient that long. <laughs> right. And, and I, but I do feel we put significant effort and even top management usually put significant significant effort into uh, becoming more efficient right but they usually we tend to do it on a team level yeah. uh, rather than maybe looking at ourselves and looking at all, the whole mm. company like where where could we actually be more efficient how much does it how what's the return on investment in being you know oh we write our code much much faster now oh fantastic but you know if 
if team said doesn't deliver this before we do, then it doesn't really matter, does it? You know, stuff like that. And coordination. And my big pet peeve, I guess it's not even a pet peeve, it's something I really, really hate, but just the number of initiatives going on. For yeah. We look at simple tools to to create effective teams. I don't know if you guys work with whip limits, but it's very common, right? We set up. I would love limits. to. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Anyway, so all teams in my department, we, we all have whip limits. They're super, super nice. But uh, that it's only on a team level. We don't have the whip limits, you know, on a department level or on a company level. And there we can have like 20 initiatives going on at the same time. Yes. And everybody's expected to deliver on that. As that's also a bit weird. Well, typical sub-optimization, right? That you, you, you look at a small team and expect them to be super efficient, but we don't look at the big company perhaps sometimes. But also, in my opinion, I think it's always like the, the layers, right, in a company are, you know, you have this first layer of the teams, um, and then you have the second layer, well, let's say the, the managers are it, and then above it, above it, right? And those are all kind of uh, places where you need to have teams, right? And on some level, you're also a team member, right? Uh, and you should be also part of this uh, effective team, right? Yes. Which someone else is leading, right? So this, you know, needs to go from, you know, in the stage from the bottom to the top, right? Uh, and then it, it becomes easier. But, you know, uh, what is important then there is this kind of, I guess, mindset of doing this in the company, but also, you know, consciousness about this, that, that you know, it's not all about, you know, the developing, uh, the development teams, et cetera, right? It is about, you know, from the top, as you said, like, you know, if you're trying to do 20 things at once, you're probably not going to be able to do that. Right? So going from, from, from the top down in, in that sense uh, is really important. But it's often missing. <laughs> often missing and also ties into to, to Lina and, and transparency and lack of visualization some, many times. Uh, once again, I think we're good at visualizing on a team level with yeah. our Kanban boards and so on. But I want, it's not always that easy on a higher strategic level. We, uh, you know, having product boards and stuff like that uh, are often missing. And, and maybe that's where it's needed to start with, at least, so it can trickle down. I'm, I'm not sure. But, you know, yeah, but I was thinking of something, not totally different, but something you said early, Christopher. You said that you, uh, you, you were building teams. Are you taking like persons and put them together in? Uh... Uh, well, it doesn't happen every day, uh, but I, <laughs> I have built, put together teams. Yes, uh, when okay. we're forming new teams, for example. Uh, but, it, but to be honest, I, I wouldn't be able to talk too much about it because I have it. It's not. It doesn't happen very often. But I, I, I've done it maybe three times or something like that. Put together completely new teams. Yes. Okay. And what 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 what, what were your? Um... How were you thinking when you did this? Yeah. <laughs> were you completely crazy? Why did you do that? <laughs> but uh... <laughs> no, but it, it can be for, uh, for, in my case, it's been for a couple, maybe one or two reasons. But one, uh, it could be, well, we see a new product. We want to build a new product. Uh, and either you, you, you identify an existing team to build this new product, or in, in my case, we uh, put together a new team to build this new product. So that's one of the cases. Uh, another case might be that the team has grown. It's too big now, uh, or there are too much responsibilities. So we need to split into two or more teams. And that would also be sort of recreating that. And I, I have experience from both of those scenarios. Yeah. But did you have the efficiency in mind when you did this, or was it from the team members themselves that they, I want right. to go to this team and I want to go to this? 
Oh, this is such a good topic. It would lead into the dynamic reteaming, which is something I'm very yeah. I, I love it. I haven't done it yet. I haven't done it yet. I, I, but I'm working on on experiments. I'll reach out to you uh, when I get there. But uh, it's all that's also been a bit different in the in the scenario when we created a completely new team, a, a pro- new product team. Then I actually had all these things we've been talking about now in mind uh, because I used it as an experiment to see, you know, are the books right? Especially uh, Accelerate um, is, is a book I, I really helped me a lot. It sort of changed my view on how to build efficient teams. So I used the practices from that book to sort of a guinea pig, to be honest, and I pretty strictly followed them in the team together with some uh, with lean principles uh, and, and stuff like that. Uh, to try these things out to see, okay, does it work? Can can you sort of do what the books say you can? And in my case, I I would argue yes, you can. But I guess it depends. You can't. You you sort of it depends on the people in the team and how you know and circumstances. But yes, uh, it that instance was very very successful. I've also seen it other instances not be very successful with split teams and sort of force people. If well, put people together, but with more existing frameworks and stuff like that, where it didn't really work. Uh, but this new team, I have one very, very su- successful case, I would say, where all these things we've been talking about today, I sort of put in practice and tried and, you know, yeah. Uh, and I, I haven't, uh, didn't you write a question about, uh, does it does the people matter? I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because uh, I, I, so I was a bit naive, let's say uh, five years, four years ago, when I sort of started even more formal be- being a manager, right? I sort of believed in my um, capabilities and knowledge about processes, uh, specifically lean principles and stuff like that. That as long as you have that and ways of working, you think or you were talking about that. If you have really, really good ways of working, then any team can be successful and any product will be de- delivered successfully. I sort of have that overbelief in the ways of working and the process. And, and I, I sort of thought this can be, I can apply my knowledge and these principles on any situation and it will work. Uh, but I've I've learned that humans do matter a lot, <laughs> yeah. and 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 I was proven wrong that the, yes the process will help, but but the people are I, I can't put a number on if they're equally important more important I don't know but the the, peop, the group of people are also very very important that they work together they have the correct you know all these things yes super important yeah the correct knowledge is one thing uh, I think mm. I've I've been uh, uh, as a member in an effective mm. team in my uh, former role and there was uh, we were a team uh, we were there because of our roles and mm. we had this uh, mutual mission which is important Mm-hmm. Uh, and we all all of us knew what to do and why we were there we didn't uh, we cooperated in, in like we discussed uh, errands uh, but uh, the the kind of of um, uh, taking the errands you did by yourself and uh, you mm-hmm. manage your your thing but uh, the efficient efficiency was uh, was in the discussions because we had these different roles and we were put together just because of that. So that was uh, that really matters mattered that we we um, oh. But was it the personality? Did you have sort of chemistry and personality that that fit as well, or was it purely a skill set? Uh, of course, the personality matters. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> 
But I think everyone was there and thinking, this is what we're here for. And uh, that was, everyone was uh, as much dedicated as the other. And I think that matters too. Very uh, much. But you have to have some dedication. If someone don't want to be in the team, then you're, you're not going to be efficient. Yeah, absolutely. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. But I was going to say that, but that's also one of the things like uh, leaders should, you know, take into account and, and try to dissolve. Um, and the thing is, I agree that, you know, people matter, definitely. But it's also, uh, in most cases, people will, you know, want to contribute, right? And will want to be uh, a part of the team. So, so I, I'd be actually really interested to see, like, Christopher, in your example, like, when it didn't go well, what didn't go well? Like, what was the, the issue that you cannot, can't? Right. Well, I, it's hard to say because I think so, many times it's several issues at once. And it can be several small things yeah, that <laughs> aren't working, right? And and you have to, and maybe incorrectly you pick one of them or something like that. So it, it is a bit hard to say. But one thing, and I, I actually wrote it down, and, and you touched on it, you know, like missing goal alignment, for example, or that, or we, that we're not aligned around a common goal. Well, then you you won't be effective, I think, because we have to believe we're this is what we want to accomplish, and that is something I've seen. It that is easier said than done, in my opinion, because we I've been in very very many workshops where I go out and I think, yeah, everybody understands what we're going to accomplish now. Everybody knows what we're doing, and then it turns out, you know, two weeks down the line, there's a big conflict in the team because they weren't nobody understood what we were, you know, sort of they have a different view of it still. And that's something I can't always describe when uh, that happens and when it doesn't happen. Uh, because some teams seem to be very aligned around the goal. Some people seem to never. We can have endless discussions and workshops, and still we can't. They go out and have different views on it. And that, I can't describe what why that is. To be honest, uh, in some circumstances, uh, it can probably be due to maybe cultural differences, but it, it, at least language barrier can be a problem. Yeah, that's why we have. Um, people from so many different cultures and so countries uh, that maybe maybe it's so simple sometimes there's down to a language barrier that we aren't actually understanding the words we're using i don't know uh, but sometimes it's definitely something else yeah i mean i definitely agree, like different cultures it's not only the language it's also i think uh, ed meyer has a really good uh, book if you've heard of it like the culture map i think it's called where she actually describes a bit more in the differences in, in the style of working between different cultures and it, it can actually kind of be very different you know just between sweden and the netherlands for instance it doesn't it doesn't have to be you know japan and sweden sometimes even like in europe which you know we're not that far apart but we have different styles of communication etc so i think that uh keeping that in mind uh it is important to think about these things and the other thing is really important is to to have everyone contribute to the discussion and really you know be on board with the book because if they're not then we have these issues of you know i was thinking we're doing that thing i was thinking we're doing that thing so and doing that of course is easier said than done <laughs> It's very, very, yes. I, I I think, just thought of an example. I don't know, I'm not sure it's fitting here. You might have to cut it out, right? But uh, <laughs> uh, and and uh, my colleague will probably listen to this as well and maybe she'll laugh, we'll see. But uh, it took very long time for me to learn uh, how different we are. Uh, and it was first, I thank her because she was very, very honest that I noticed my view on a meeting is completely different from hers. Uh, because I used to book 
Swedish style meetings, I guess we could, we could call them. They're quite open, maybe almost leaderless, and where you have a discussion. And I think from my perspective and many for the Swedish organizational culture, it, it, we want everybody to contribute. We're equal participants in creating this meeting. But I have colleagues that ha come from a different background where that's not necessarily the case. So their expectation is that you have a very strong le uh, leader in a meeting and almost informing and sort of leading meeting and telling us what's going to happen. And that for me is not my way of doing meetings. So I used to have all these meetings that were more open and where I would expect people to participate. Be uh, and I would sometimes get frustrated that people were not participating and they would get <laughs> frustrated with me because I wasn't such, such a weak leader sort of, right? <laughs> and 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 she would tell me, well, that was a horrible meeting. I was, why? I was people were talking stuff. No, you had no agenda and you were not assertive and stuff like that. But that can be the case in a team too, to stop it from sure. being efficient. Because if right, right. some team members want a, 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 like a, a leader that's uh, given them their way all the time, and other group members wants to do it their way, and they see yes. the goal and they're uh, self-leaders, uh, then there will, it won't work. Yeah, right, right. In my opinion, that's something that uh, I, li I like to actually cover in the ways of working meetings, right? Because it's we often assume that everyone is, you know, has the same way of working as us, right? So you should, you know, kind of take it from the start and, and actually discuss these things, like what do we expect from each other? Uh, so uh, what do they expect from a manager? So having this discussion does help, uh, you know, actually avoiding this kind of issue. But it's so easy, even when you do it, it's often easy to get into a trap of, you know, you know, everyone's on the same page. It's it's an often kind of confusion, I would say, as well. Even after you kind of mindfully, you know, go through it, there's still some gaps. Uh, so like it's often, I guess, sometimes it's good to, to summarize to see, you know, are we on the same page in the end of the meeting, at least in, in the beginning of, of a team, because that kind of helps with translating in a sense. Right. Or ask somebody else to summarize. I You just remind me, I think that's a simple but good way to, to you know, get an understanding. Uh, definitely, because it's so easy to, to get in this uh, mindset of, you know, like everything's crystal clear, everyone knows what they need to do, but in reality it's not. And sometimes people just uh, kind of out of their own, I would say, you know, cultural differences, right? don't bring this up because it's not something you're used to. It, you don't even think about it. Uh, so if, you know, the, the summaries are my, my go-to kind, I would say in most meetings uh, to make sure that we are all alive. That's, that's good. Amazing. I hate to jump in here because I feel like we could keep <laughs> this going for hours. Honestly, you guys have had an incredible discussion and it's been amazing for me as a host, but I've been listening throughout all this and it's been incredible. So before we kind of end the podcast, really, unfortunately, I might add, but I would like to say thank you to all of my guests. You know, you've all been amazing and you've had some incredible thoughts. that I think our listeners are going to be really keen to hear. So my guests have been Lena, Agile Manager at Folksum, Dinko, Engineering Manager at Quarter, and Christopher, Senior Engineering Manager at Betson Group. Now, if you would like to participate in a future podcast or if you would like to discuss how we can help you find the perfect next addition to your team, please connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd like to say again, just thank you to all of our guests and thank you for all of you listening at home. 
we really hope you can join us again next time.